When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Feel free to use, uh, feel free to make uh, mood music too, Marie. Okay. Okay, well, I gotta get, I don't, the, what's, okay. All right. I'm getting <laughs> in there. Okay. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I have heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Been in that situation, Marie. <laughs> and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Damn it, woman. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Mm. So the Mm. Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the day of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So the woman, he said, I will make you pay your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. You will always make less than men. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful Mm -hmm. toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat, and live forever. Forever. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Why can't I say forever, Marie? Because, dude, you're cursed. You got that whole, that original sin thing So happening. the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. (laughs) And that's how we're going to start this episode, Marie. 
It's with a flaming sword and cherubim and seraphim. Now, wait, was there seraphim or just cherubim? Just cherubim, just cherubim. Now, with the flaming sword, I I do want to say on behalf of all men that I apologize for women. Ah, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And we're on the episode. (laughs) Welcome to the Mad Scientist Podcast. Tonight's episode. Magical Clothing Part 2! Yeah! So that oh. so so that's a fun one. I'm just teasing. That's a fun one, right? Yeah, well, you know, I didn't know that that fig leaves. So here's the thing I don't get. I didn't know, first of all, they didn't eat figs. It wasn't figs that got them into this whole, you know, kerfuffle to begin with. But pomegranate and or apple well right? they, ne- well, so they never sort of they like, never so say what, they just got the fig they, they just never, went for the fig leaf because well, it was the biggest they never say what the fruit is no but it's it's often it portrayed is, as an apple or a yeah or a pomegranate apple, but it's not a fig right because they say that they reach they name they call that by name but the 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 fruit of knowledge of a tree of knowledge is is not is not given any kind of uh it's not given a name but I mean, listen, we right? all know it's a mango <laughs> a mango is the best fruit a mango is the best fruit but Thank you, you. it's not so it's also not a fruit you can just bite into right because they just bite into said fruit so that's it true. cannot be that's a mango true. yeah that's or true. a banana pineapples or an out orange Pineapples are actually bushes and they grow out of the ground from below oh not my out of trees. god all right listen we're getting off topic here this I'm just I'm just trying, this, you know, to be scientific. This episode is on again magical clothing, but this time we are looking at it from mm-hmm. a darker side, I guess. We're looking at clothing as first off, clothing as punishment, clothing as uh, moral, curse. moral yes. something, clothing as a curse, and clothing as a means of sort of hiding your true self from the world right judgment yeah clothing is judgment so this is one of the first stories a lot of us are really taught in terms of religious things right i mean like you know at at least i remember being a kid and having a um being given a children's bible and Mm. i distinctly remember the section where they're talking about the serpent and uh and the garden of eden and and god you know, they were naked at first, but of course they showed them underneath uh, bushes and trees and stuff very artfully. So like they were still naked, but I couldn't see anything. But they're all standing. Yeah, there's all. Like, yeah, just it's the, like, you know, a cloud, a tree. Yes, right. Adam standing in front of a chipmunk who's kind of in the way of his balls. But um, but the but it's interesting that one of the, the very first thing that they realize upon eating the fruit of knowledge and mm-hmm. learning about good and evil is that being naked is evil in some way, right? Which is a really, really interesting thing. Very specific. It's extremely specific, right? Like very specific, and it not begins the enslavement of others or your will to dominate. It's that you're not. It's that you're all bare ass naked out there. Right. It's it is. It's a very very specific thing, and it's something too that, like, it kind of it kind of creates the whole it really plays a foundational role in modern society still, right? Like if there's one thing that we've taken from the Bible, it's that nipples are very, very sinful. 
right? <laughs> like, really? Like, like seriously, though, right? I mean, I remember being a kid. Was that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? I don't remember, but I think it's... Do not go forth and show nipples. No, yay, that... No, I'm just... I'm now... I'm just free-versing. <laughs> well, it's an, it's an interesting thing, right? Like, of all of the... Of all of the things that are in the Bible that are, are good that you can take from it, right? Yes, um, in of many, which there are many. In yes. many ways... This is one that's kind of like maybe one of the worst lessons it can teach us, right? That um that nud- well, yeah. that nudity yeah. or that like it creates a whole thing. Like I I often wonder would uh some of the sort of like extreme fet not extreme fetishism necessarily because that's a whole different thing. Hmm. Like mm-hmm. would fetishism exist as it does today? have had we not made taboo um so much of the basic human experience right well, like we're all yeah. naked we're all born naked well yeah but i mean i can't help but wonder if like if these taboos weren't clearly prevalent before the See, book was written but right? I, because, I, mean, I if you I look at like the fact that, that you know that my entire you know, my entire sex kind of gets the uh, sticky end of the lollipop on this go round. Well, yeah, and okay, it's of like, course, yeah. That can't just be like out of the blue. You're just like, hey, you know what? She did it. That's fucked up. Well, it's yeah, cer- we can't. We cannot trust them with anything. It's certainly a way. Don't to- let them drive. Don't yeah. what? What? You know? So no, I don't. I think that that must have been in existence before this. You know, my. It's just my two cents. So you so okay for the see, Old Testament. See now, I, I think that that, I, that I, was yeah, but I think it's self perpetuating in a lot of ways, right? It's like I'm sure that misogamy and the fear of the fear of uh, nudity or sort of that 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 taboo existed at the time it was being written because it was written into that text, and it just therefore reinforces everything going forward. It's a you know a self a self sustaining narrative in a way. Sure. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, you make, um, well, it's sort of this, it's sort of similar to when we outlaw almost anything, right? It's like you make something mm-hmm. illegal, but it's something, uh, well, maybe not anything illegal, but like, you know, it's similar to like making drug, drug use illegal, right? Like you're going to outlaw an addictive, using an addictive drug, but it's addictive. So the people that use it the first time are going to want to use it some more. Right. So it's like, yes. It's, and it's then you're going to underfund any way to, you know, yes. Anything yeah. around it. becomes. And so it's yeah, and so similar, yeah. similar to the same kind of thing. It's like, well, we're going to make being nude taboo. We're going to make uh, nudity. We're going to make the body. We're going to make bodily functions, all this stuff, whatever taboo. And then therefore um, anyone that uh, anyone that shows these very human problems or human things or whatever in, in modern life is shunned or made fun of or whatever mm-hmm. right which kind of makes me which kind of popular culture reference for uh arrested development for tobias the never nude yes there are dozens of us oh my God. literally dozens there of just... us i love that okay sorry just well to... no That's no, like no it's a good first one. what's one of our first uh arrested development like normally we go straight into you know it's always sunny but I can't even believe it. It's 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 Arrested Development is one of my favorite shows. It is. Why it's haven't so we good. been referring to that like a lot? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. What's been wrong with us? It's okay. This 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 is the season of Arrested Development references. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So so here's the interesting thing I think about all, a lot of this is that 
from the time of, and I, I think Marie, there's something to be said about the idea mm-hmm. that it goes back further than the Bible, right? Cause I'm sure it mm-hmm. does. Um, and there's always been something about clothing almost as God's, um, like clothing is a way to prostrate yourself in front of God in a sense. Right. So I grew up in New York city and there's a huge, uh, huge population, huge. There is a sizable population, much more sizable than in other parts of the country, the United States of uh, Hasidic, uh, various mm-hmm. sects of Hasidic mm-hmm. Jews. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, normal kind of like, day-to-day drive around Brooklyn, whatever, you will see, no matter how hot it is, you are going to see um, a few a few people, at least, and sometimes a lot of people, if you're in the right communities and stuff, that are wearing, like, extremely warm-looking wool suits, suits and hats. trench coats and these big, uh, yeah. full fur hats on their heads. Yes. And, or, or you know... just the fedora, the regular fedora. God, it's so warm. It's yes. right, and 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 uh, and the women wearing uh, full length, uh, yeah. full length uh, shirts with sleeves and multiple layers and everything, right? With uh, with the with the big dresses all the way down to the floor. You know, it it's a very um, it's a very interesting way to show your allegiance to a faith, right? And it's also part. I mean, and a lot of faiths have that. I mean, um, mm-hmm. in Islam, you have the uh, the hijab and the. Uh, mm-hmm the other sorts of, you know, the, the other sorts of uh, robes and clothing and stuff that, that can be worn. You have, um, in Christianity, you have the cross that people wear around their necks or the mm-hmm. very, uh, you know, um, in some certain sects of, of Christianity, right? Mormonism, let's say you have, uh, you have undergarments that you wear specifically. You have the holy underwear. That's right. You have specific uh, rules as to what you can or can't wear. Right. Like this is a part of a lot of religious practices and, and, and it is, uh, it is a very interesting one to me because it signifies like, not only does it signify to you that like, it's a, it's a constant reminder almost that you are a sinning or sinful creature. Right. It's like the constant chafing in the hot Utah sun is a sign that you, do you know what I mean though? Yeah. Like, do you get that same feeling Marie? Like it's, it's a, it's a feeling of, um, not necessarily oppression in the sense of like, you know, cause I'm sure many of these people are very, have a lot of faith and are very happy to do it. Right. But well, it's, think, um, yeah. it's like a, it's like a really quick way to socially signify that you are of this sect. And actually that's something else that we wanted to get into. So I think this general idea of clothing as both a reminder of one's uh, or the reminder of potential evilness or sin. And then also the idea of clothing as social status symbol, almost or showing of yourself to the world, all really interesting and all stuff we want to, we kind of want to get into. Right. So let's start off actually with, the idea of clothing as a curse or clothing as a reminder of something bad that you've done mm-hmm. or someone in your past has done. Mm-hmm. Right? Like so, almost like a perpetual judgment. Yeah. So Marie, you're you had, wearing everywhere you go. Yeah. Yeah. So you had some stuff on this, right? So my clothing is cursed. Mostly come from, um, popular culture and literature. And okay. I think, the interesting thing about when you start to tell the story of someone who has a cursed object or cursed clothing in books or in movies or whatever, it can 
you know, it, it in itself is interesting, but it also can be somewhat of a, um, a MacGuffin, which I think we discussed like way back in, in season one, which is some sort of narrative device that is, that is the center of attention or is seemingly a big plot point, but is really just used to move the action of the story along. Um, and is actually has no relevance or meaning, any intrinsic meaning to the story. And I think that that comes up sort of that balance between it being a signifier and it being sort of something that is just a, a to use to move um, the story to the next sort of the meaning of the story along is is something that is kind of interesting that I've seen come up again and again. But um, I think the one that came to my mind and also in, in researching was Miss Havisham from Great Expectations, who is in a wedding dress the entire story, right? And she's in a wedding dress, uh, Charles Dickens, um, because she was jilted at the altar. And that action, um, not just jilted, but she was literally like, uh, I think I'm trying to, now I've got to, you know, I'm trying to get into my like, oh my God, Victorian England uh, literature <laughs> class. What was it? She wasn't just jilted. She was embezzled or they, they, the, the, the man who she was going to marry, who she thought was well-to-do and wealthy, ended up being a swindler and took her for all, for all of her worth. Okay, so, she, so she was bamboozled. She was bamboozled. And so all right. as a, as a, as a after effect, she's wearing this, the same wedding dress for centuries. Right. And so she kind of walks around and she's like almost a ghost because she's wearing this wedding dress and she it affects, um, you know, she ends up adopting um, a girl who is who falls in love with Pip Estella. I think, uh, yeah, Stella falls in love with Pip and uh, Miss Haversham is the figure who sort of stands between them until until she has her, um, you know, her uh, her repentance and you know finds finds no fault with true love type of thing but it's it's like this this permanent you know she doesn't wear anything else it's clearly creepy and it's also a very visual reminder of uh fidelity monogamy you know a successful relationship falling in love and she's just sort of wasting away within this and moltering away in this in this wedding gown, which I think right. is well, it's very also cursed. A, yeah, it's also in a way a reminder of kind of the, you know, it's a reminder of the hurt and the fail, you know, not the failure mm-hmm. necessarily on her part, but a, a failure of her marriage, right? Or the yes. failure of this thing that she hoped for. I mean, it's very similar to, um, it's very similar to when people, uh, people will mourn and they'll wear black clothing, right? I, yes. I think there's a story... It's a story in my family that I don't even know if this is true. I, I, I assume it's true, but I'm not even sure that uh, one of my um, one of my one of my grandmas, not my actual grandma, but like a, a mm-hmm. you know a grandma of the family that hung around when her husband died, she wore uh, black and a mourning shawl for like a whole year, mm-hmm. right? And this was in mm-hmm. like 1970s Brooklyn. So I'm sure she looked very out of place, but you know, like it's an interesting, it's creepy, right? It's like, it's like the morning you were expecting sort of, you know, this, 
wearing a black and you know covering covering mirrors and it's there's an appropriate amount of time for doing this but then just for like decades afterward you yeah know, for it to keep going in this, it's in this decay is just again it totally dickensian right it's like you know she's humiliated she's you know she's just reliving this one single event with the inability to move on you well know, it's also it's also it's also very similar though to i think um almost what i mean this is kind of a this is a little bit of a stretch but mm -hmm. very similar to sort of what some people will do when faced with a big life-changing or life-altering um and in a bad way um life-altering event where they begin to uh like compulsively hoard items right mm -hmm. i mean it's sort of it's, it's like a kind of creepy it's sort of it. it's yeah it's sort of a way of saying you know listen i give up um i get i you know I'm, I'm no longer going to address myself or try to put an outward face to the world and say you know well this is the way that i see myself right i, I see myself as someone who's mourning or yes. you know in in the case of great expectations i see myself as someone who was um, given the bamboozling of a lifetime, right? <laughs> I yes. will never forget the bamboozling, right? Well, yes, and just, yeah, just not being able to, there is no, there is nothing beyond that moment. And that, the interesting thing too that is so perfect is if you have to think about all of the, any any item of clothes that sort of is worn at a particular moment, there's only very few things that are sort of, uh, indicative or symbolic of one certain thing, right? I can think of maybe christening gown for a child, um, but a wedding gown, it's like that is that is hugely culturally significant and it's also not something you're going to be waltzing down the street with, right? No, it's, it's like, what? yeah, it's one of those things that you buy for like one day and you one never day. wear it again, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Did Katie, by the way, when 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 and you got married, did Katie have a wedding gown? Uh, Katie, no, we did a we did a very, uh, we did a very like small kind of I guess like oh well, small we did a very intimate and I guess kind of modern wedding mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. say so Katie had a beautiful wedding dress that she wore but not a mm. not a white wedding gown not a gown right and has she worn um, said dress since then? I know she's not. Oh. Okay. But Katie is also pretty much every day covered in animal guts from mm. her job. Mm. <laughs> right? So not As you the do. best. Yeah, so, you know, not the, I mean, vet school, not the greatest uh, place to be wearing. Just curious. Yeah. No, it's, it mm. is interesting, though. I mean, I think that they're, so it's interesting that you mentioned these pieces of clothing that are like, um, they're sort of, I guess they're also sort of charged emotionally. Yes. Right. Oh, absolutely. Because there yeah. are these, there are for these special days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, and actually a lot of, we have a lot of uh, pieces of clothing like that, that end up becoming, like you said, these kind of MacGuffins or even, um, there's some idea to the, uh, there's some idea that clothing in some way is kind of clothing is the way that we show ourselves to the world. Right. Yes. And clothing is also, as we mentioned in the last episode, in many ways, a sign of your status or your station in life. Right. So, um, you know, if you're a pharaoh or a king or something, you have a very specific set of clothing that you're allowed to wear that other people mm -hmm. are not. Right. You mm -hmm. um, and it's true. It's true of like everything. Right. I mean, you can think about. 
Um, and we're going to get into this more, but you can think about like, you know, if you go outside and you're wearing, um, you know, I don't know, a, uh, yeah, there, like there's clothing that signifies you as something, right? Like if right. you are wearing a lab coat and a stethoscope, people assume that you're not just some fucking weirdo who bought a stethoscope and a lab coat. People assume that you're like a pediatrician. Or you're something, learned. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like people assume yes. that you, you can do something with that, with that stethoscope. <laughs> so um, it, is, it is a signifier of something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and then there's more subtle ways that that's true too. Right. I mean, if you're wearing, you know, if you're wearing a uh, combat boots and a punk, you know, a shirt from a band mm-hmm. no one's ever heard of, people assume you're into punk rock, right? If you're wearing, um, I don't know, suspenders and a stupid hat, people think you like ska like I do, right? Like there's very specific signifiers here that may not even mean a lot to you if you're outside of the subculture itself, right? Right. But anyways, right. but there is something, this idea of someone desiring or being uh, being envious of a piece of clothing getting it and then by getting that piece of clothing ruining their lives right it's sort of a very right. like comeuppance kind of thing and so one of yeah. my favorites one of my favorite versions of this is the fairy tale the red shoes or the red slippers oh, depending on what country yeah. you get it from and so this story is um this this a girl basically says that she hopes that she can get uh, basically a, a, a red pair of um, basically a red pair of red dancing slippers or dancing right? yeah. shoes or something. Right. And that, um, you know, she wants to, she wants to get these and whatever. And so um, what ends up happening is that she becomes so um, she becomes so excited about these shoes and, and falls in love with them so much that um, she wants to wear them to church. Right. Mm-hmm. But her, her mother, um, or not even her mother necessarily in most tellings, but an old woman that she knows who's at church with her, mm-hmm. whatever, um, Mm-mm-mm. is told, well, you have to wear black shoes to church to show respect. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but she, this, this young girl cannot, she cannot, um, cannot actually deal with that. She has to wear these red shoes everywhere. Right. She right. loves it. And so when she goes to church the next weekend, an old man meets her and he says, you know, well, what, wow, those shoes would be really good for dancing. Wouldn't they? Right. And he says to her, you know, I hope, I hope that they never come off of you when you dance. Mm. Right. And can you know, the, this, uh, this woman mm-hmm. after a church, right. She's, she's, she cannot stop herself from dancing. And she just now is forced to dance constantly. She's just, you know, She's going around dancing and going nuts and whatever. Right. Right. Which is the price of for Arvis and, and for, you know, materialism and greed. Right. Or but she, you know, but she was so uh, she was so taken by these shoes that she wouldn't that she took them over her faith, which is basically what the, you know, what the, the saying or what the, I would interpret that as. Right. Yeah. And so, well, yeah, it's it's a it's a. And so in different tellings of the story, there are, uh, you know, it becomes more elaborate. There's mm-hmm. one case where um, it's a, it's an old it's an old woman who takes her in after her own mother dies. And Karen basically like, you know, gives her so much grief about, you know, I don't have anything nice. Why don't you get me new shoes, whatever that she buys her the shoes. And then she's not even being respectful with them. Um, this old man curses her at church 
And then when the old mother, hmm. when the mother, this old woman taking care of her is lying on her deathbed, um, the girl decides to just go out dancing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's again, it's like a story of um, almost a story of disrespect or a story of uh, the clothes. Yes. The shoes mm-hmm. signifying the excesses in the face of yes. responsibility yes. and proper etiquette and whatever. And actually, in, in some cases, she um, she dies so much or she she dances so much that it kills her. Mm-hmm. And then an, and then an angel comes down and tells her soul that she has to keep dancing even after death. Jesus, man, come on right? now. Yes. Um, and then, and then, uh, and then, much, and then, a little dire. Just saying. And so then, her, saying. and 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 even her her feet, which have become uh, ripped off from her body, continue to dance in these shoes. And so the the ghost of this Ugh. woman, like, forces the shoes to go to church, hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. to like. To be like, you know, like, I don't know, like, look at this. Isn't this weird, everybody? Look, woo! This and, uh, is what happens. And then, and then everyone... This is why we uh, can't have nice things. Sorry. Yeah, and so then afterwards, she, she, you know, none of these tricks that she's trying to do to get back into God's graces, good's graces work. And so finally she decides she'll go, she's just going to pray. She's just going to pray to God and be humble and ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And God gives her forgiveness. And, um, and she goes to heaven. Right. But still, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. again, this is the story of God uh, just straight up being like, yeah, you want the damn shoes? Here you go. Here you go. Right. It's it's a very interesting. It's a very interesting story. And it's one um, it's one that uh, the story of of a piece of clothing as a a cursed item, a piece of clothing as a as a as a point of envy and a point of greed and then the greed Ugh. swallowing up the person in some way well, right think, it's a yeah. very common it's a very common trope well i think that that reminds me of one other one that i have that i think is again from from books which is sort of fitting in the same vein which is from um f scott fitzgerald great gatsby is the part where daisy is crying over gatsby's shirts so he comes in and he shows her sort of his entire wardrobe, which is stocked with all these these major, beautiful, finely custom-made shirts. And she literally breaks down and starts to cry, and she says something like, they're just such beautiful shirts. They're so beautiful. And it's sort of this weird tense strange moment because you've never seen the other side of Gatsby that's that isn't about sort of this abundance and wealth and materialism and yet this woman who he's trying to impress kind of has this 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 strange reaction to his beautiful shirts and like what do they symbolize for her and what do they symbolize for him is sort of this um Again, this this materialism, but even beyond that, like who who was he when he wasn't when she fell in love with him before he was the great Gatsby? And is that the person that she truly, you know, loves and remembers? And now this person who is who has all of this material wealth is not the same or is trying too hard to win her back. And it's just this really poignant, strange jarring part of that novel which is which is again like almost a punishment right it's almost like you have something and you covet it so much like the shoes 
or these beautiful shirts that it's just never, there's never enough, right? It's like Gatsby's has hundreds of, hundreds of custom made shirts, right? Which is like sort of, again, just this excessiveness or the putting on the shoes and, and, and having them have such a hold on you, but all you do, all, all you can do is dance in them is this, is this sort of retribution for, for excess. And I think that that is again, like one of the things that clothes are so perfect at pointing out is the abundance almost taken like too far, but it's, you know, clothes are supposed to keep you warm. They're supposed to keep you safe. They, you know, they, they serve a purpose, right? They got us tossed, you know, they're the first thing we went to when we got tossed out of Eden, but they can also serve almost as this sort of retribution if you have too much. Well, it's also, it's also almost, it's also almost an interesting sort of, um, it's almost a sort of like greed begets or sin begets sin kind of story. Mm -hmm. Right. Because Mm -hmm. if clothing was an original punishment for our sin, for our original sin, then the greed or the excess, like you're saying of owning opulent clothing, it's like a sin. It's like turning a punishment back into its own sin. Right. It's almost, it's almost like, um, it's almost like, I don't know, people that get fetishes for spankings or something, right? It's like, you're being punished. This isn't supposed to be fun for you, right? It's, um, yeah. And it's but like, it's weird interesting. Excessiveness. Like, don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days being a grown up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, I think that was good enough. I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. Because I'm always, you know, I, you know, in thinking about it and, you know, because again, going back and researching it, this is one that comes up and it's like, it is this weird part of the book where you're like, why would she cry over shirts? You know, like, why is this like, why is this such an emotional moment? But then you also think like, kind of almost like how much, how much does one person need before they are sated? Right. And it's sort of like the tantalus, like you will always reach for the grapes. The grapes will pull out of range. You will always, you know, bow to the water to only have it recede kind of, you, you will never have enough to make you happy is sort of, I think what comes out of the, like the moral lesson from, from something like Gatsby and especially shown with clothes, which to me is like, that's so perfect. Cause it's like, of course that's like, if you had a, a lot of money, that's probably one of the first things that you would use again as a social signifier to show I right, have, you, I am of wealth, right? I right, am of I status. It. I made it, right? That's the easiest way besides, you know, car or whatever. It's almost even more prevalent is the clothes. So and just that almost becoming this, you know, almost sickening thing is, is interesting. Right. I find it, it's also kind of interesting, Marie, tonight we're like 
We're just we're two for two for books that Chris mm. was assigned to read in high school but never did. Great Expectations and Gatsby. Yeah, I I just I didn't read any of. I think the only book that I was assigned in high school to read, and now actually one of my uh, one of my high school teachers is actually a listener now. Oh, um, so hi, I'm Mr. Erlenwine. Mr. Erlenwine, um, he never yeah. read any of this. I think he went no. straight for the he went straight for the cliff notes, man. No, I mean I didn't even do that. I actually got into trouble once, not trouble necessarily. Um. I got into um, I got into kind of an interesting kind of an interesting problem where um, we were reading what the <laughs> kind hell was of that interesting book? like interesting as in I faked the entire thing and yes 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 what I book? made up the entire thing um, I'm trying to think what the oh. Um, oh what was the book it was um, your teachers just like uh, oh my god it was oh oh, oh oh it might have it might even have been Great Gatsby actually what. Where okay, Gatsby is um, not even a novel. It's more like a novella. It's like it's like maybe like two hundred pages, dude. The only the only one of those books that we got assigned that I actually read was Frankenstein. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's was the good. only one, that's and that one shit. was because I had read it already. That's good. But um, there was a section in one of those books where they were talking about an ottoman and how the ottoman as a piece of furniture was like a signifier of like Ooh. opulence or something, right? It was like that like was it was like it's such. I don't remember what it was, but I, um, because this is what I used to do was when the teacher would ask questions that I thought I could bullshit my way through to get points to make it look like I was reading the books, I would answer the questions, right? Uh-huh. Because, like, cause like, the questions would be things like, you know, like, okay, well, like, let's say, like, what do you think the shirts signify for The Great Gatsby? Like, I know mm-hmm. enough about The Great Gatsby to know that it's, like, a signifier of, like, wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like nine times out of ten, mm-hmm. maybe I get it. I answer weird, but it's not terrible. Um, and then that one time I like hit it out of the ballpark and I'm like, yes, I did it. This time I started, I went on a whole thing about how the Ottomans were an empire at the time, but they like had fallen apart right after World War One, and all this other stuff. And the teacher was just like, she was just like, yeah, that's like, that's interesting. You say that. But we're talking about the Ottoman is like a piece of furniture. What book was this from? I don't remember, but I just made a complete ass of myself. It was good times. Oh man, dear listeners, if you can figure this one out, you get some <laughs> special brownie points. It was for, some. It was some English book majors in, out like, there. Yeah, it was I some bet, book. I bet Tess. I bet Tess Feifel knows. This I one. bet Tess knows exactly Down which cold. one it was. But uh, anyway, so God, you're such a punk. Can't even bother to read it. You're all laughing. I didn't read yeah. I will now pontificate for the so next cool. twelve minutes. I'm the kid. I'm the kid that today I hate. It's great. Ah! <laughs> um, so another idea with clothing that kind of comes up too in the same idea is clothing as a way to either hide one's identity or even augment it. Right. So we've we've talked a bit already about it augmenting one's identity. Right. Like you put on a clo- you put on clothing as a signifier. Yeah. You put on clothing as a way to uh, show to the world like you know like this is look at what i have and whatever um another idea that's really interesting is clothing as a way of actually hiding oneself hiding one's true self from the world and so i got i got two kind of general ways to go to go into this right so one really cool one is um mm-hmm. we had a really interesting thing um a really interesting thing from uh, michael who's part of the uh igor and so, uh, 
Igor. 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 He put Igor. up a uh, really interesting thing on Italian carnival dress. And uh, specifically, a, a thing that used to happen, I guess, in kind of the uh, 9th and 10th century Venice. So basically, um, Venice was super open to kind of um, promiscuity and sin and kind of like bad behavior so long as you were wearing a mask. Right. So, and so it mm-hmm. got to the point, cause like, so they, so the Venetians, yeah. yeah so the, the, the Venetians yes. would wear, um, would basically wear masks to, uh, go to these kind of uh, orgies and go to secret meetings and stuff and do things in secret. Right. And so basically the, uh, the Catholic church at the time really liked Venice because it was a, you know, kind of an economic powerhouse. Right. And it was for a really long time, mm-hmm. actually. And so yeah. Um, yeah. the Catholic Church though decided that, you know what, these masks, they got to go. Right. Like, you, you know, you can't just because you're wearing a mask doesn't mean God doesn't know you're sinning. Right. Like God can see through the, the mask, stupid. Right. And so um, but but basically, so they so the church outlawed these masks and then there was a big protest throughout Venice. And so the church relented and said, OK, well, you can wear your masks only during certain times of year, right? And the t- the time, mm-hmm. the time of year that they decided to to allow them to wear their masks was from Christmas through Shrove Tuesday, a period that became known as Carnival, which means which means without uh-huh. meat, right? Um, uh huh. And so, uh, it's it's basically uh, basically it's come to represent for Italians a period of kind of you know we rebelled against the powers that be to keep our Italian spirit, um, you know, forward. And it's a really interesting one because, you know, I, I, my, my uncle, my, my family is straight from Italy, right? My mom's side anyways. And, mm-hmm. um, and I had, had a Nona, Nona and we had, had my mom, we actually had carnival masks on mm-hmm. the wall of our entryway in our house when people came in and now I'm like really worried about the poker parties. You know, what were they poking? Mm. Right. Well, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Best Anyways. You don't know. Um, so, okay. So that's kind of Dora. Dora, Dora, Dora listen to this part. So uh, who are we kidding? She listens to every single episode. Uh, Dora, number one fan of, of my entire life. Anyways, friend of the friend pod. Of the pod. Um, so, this actually brings up a really interesting idea that's been around for a really long time. And, and really one of my favorite versions of it is in the Republic by Plato. And specifically it's in the story of the ring of Gyges. So the idea is that there is, the, there is a, uh. there is a mythical ring from um, this time period about uh, basically this, this uh, King, the Gyges of Lydia um, who just, who founded a dynasty, whatever. And so, um, there are different accounts of kind of how he became powerful, but in general, the myth is that um, he was originally kind of like the underling to King um, Candalus of Lydia. He then kills the king somehow, takes the throne, and then mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then takes the wife of the king. So he seduces the queen as well. And so the story goes that supposedly he did this. Same yeah, so story. supposedly he did this uh, by finding a ring that when he wore it, uh, he became invisible. Uh, and so he huh. was then able to uh, he was then able to 
invisibly, you know, seduce the queen and kill the king and take over, right? And so now the, the story uh-huh. in The Republic, uh-huh. it's really a story about whether or not morality or virtue and justice and the good, being a good person, is that merely a social construct or is there something intrinsically valuable yeah. in being a good person, right? So um, this is really an argument yes. between um, Glauson, who is said to be a brother of Plato, um, and uh, Socrates, right? Who is the main character in Plato's uh, The Republic and a lot of Plato's works. And there's actually some really interesting question about who the real Socrates was. Is he, there's a very interesting, like the stuff that we think we know about Socrates, we get from Plato or Aristotle. And so it's probably like them making up a character. You know what I mean? Like it would, it would almost be like, yeah, yeah it would almost be bill. like if, um, yep. I don't know. If I made up, if I made up Chris Cogswell, or better yet, if uh, if Scott Philbrook, the man of three first names, made up. Yes, a it would be very. It would be very similar to say mm-hmm. if Scott created an elaborate story about a co-host. Maybe he could call. Yeah, maybe a he ruse. could call him. Yes. I don't know. Maybe um, something. Yeah, easy to like, remember. like I don't know. Maybe like maybe like mm. planes. Or no planes? No, nah, something it would have to be. Planes a is a hard bit, word. Maybe maybe something that something that reminds you of trees, maybe or nature. I don't know. Yes. I don't know. Anyways, something along but he those could lines. he could yes. make him up, and then he could, you know. But it would be a social construct, right, right. nonetheless. No, the it'd be a complete, it'd be a complete yes. fabrication. Um. Anyways, Agreed. so okay, so the ring of Gyges. The story basically says that. Um. The, basically, what's happening here is Glauson is asking Socrates. Glauson doesn't think that if you had the ability to become invisible at will, that you, anyone, any person would be able to keep themselves from being, uh, doing something unjust or immoral, right? That if you mm-hmm. had the ability mm-hmm. to become invisible, or to put it more generally, if you could get away with a crime without any repercussions, because no one could ever know it was you, would mm-hmm. what would stop you? What logically would stop you from from committing the crime right and it's very similar to one to like the question of you know if you could uh you know if you're at a red light at nighttime and it's midnight and there's no other car around whatever do you run the red light or do you wait right oh i run the red lights in the middle (laughs) so but no no but it's like there is something to being like the perception of the self right like that you can perceive yourself in the body as being a mortal person that will yeah. be judged. But if you can't see yourself and if no one can see you, cause it's almost more important in this scenario that you can't see you. Not so much that you cannot be Ooh. perceived by others, but you can't even be perceived by yourself. Well, and that's where the moral think, construct mm, comes see, into play. I actually right? read like, it a different way. I don't think it has anything to do with you. I think it has more to do with the idea of, is there, like, is, no, 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 like, like, or that it is a perception, good is a perception. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, good is, good is a, good is a perception that we put on other people, right? And so what Glauson's point is, is that, um, what his point is that we, there is nothing intrinsically good about being moral or not committing crime, Mm -hmm. so to speak. It's merely we we do we don't commit crimes because of the social repercussions that would occur to us, right? And what Socrates' argument right. would be, and what Socrates' argument is, 
is that actually justice, it doesn't matter if someone can see you or not. Being just and being good is about more than just, um, more than simply being caught. It's about giving into your, it's right. It's about giving into your appetites or giving into your pleasures, right? right? Whereas, so in other words, to Socrates, to be just or to be good, not just, to be good or virtuous or moral mm -hmm. is to refrain mm -hmm. yourself from your animal appetites, right? So in... Right. But again, you would still have to have a perception of yes, yourself. Yes, yes, you do. And so, but that's the, same well, that's thing, the thing, right? though. Like, if you can't see yourself, it's almost an erasure of your being and you don't have any. You have no construct... You have nothing in which to, I, to I, be moral I, for, right? So if you can't see yourself, it's, I think it's almost more. Okay, so you're saying I, I understand I what you're saying going. too, though. That you think that see, but the thing is that you ah, the thing so is that you the thing, so deep. People. The thing we're is that so you deep. know, like you know that you're still around, though. Right? It's not like you're born invisible. But do you? If you can't see of yourself, course. but if but how how much would that fuck with you? If you can't see yourself. You have no con like again. Well, you can you just nothing. Nothing is reacting to you because yeah, you but can't you can just take. Seen, then how how do you exist? How is that? Well, you can existence? just take the ring off whenever you want, though. Well, yeah, but uh... I get Anyways. yeah, I get I do get what you're saying though. It's almost <laughs> it's almost interesting because it's kind of like what occurs to Gollum in Lord of the Rings, right? Like by mm, being invisible yes. for so long, um, he becomes almost yeah. a a creature defined by his appetites, right? Yes, you have nothing yeah, else to yeah. guide you. Now, yeah. what I find really interesting with this story generally is that it is it is a really interesting one for modern day, uh, for modern day society. I mean, it's still a really great story and a really great question, right? Like, mm -hmm. if you could, um, and it's actually one that was brought up for a lot of people, I think, when they thought that they were going to be nuked to death in hawaii right like have you did you read some of the oh my did you God. read some of the i work with some people that live in hawaii that like you know that weekend like afterwards that monday we had a we had a conference call and they were on and we were like hey so what was up with that and i would have called that, out of work their feedback was just horrifying i was like holy like i didn't you know, you hear about it and you sort of heard about it like to start just sort of ad hoc. Like you couldn't wrap, you didn't wrap your head around what they were saying until like, I don't know, it was like 48 hours later. And, I, you know, and I was talking about it and hearing more about it in the news. And it's like f almost 40 minutes of sheer panic. Like, well, world yeah, I mean, panic. I don't think we're really giving. I, I actually think almost that, again, this is kind of a thing, a social perception where. The people in mm -hmm. Hawaii that did some like really crazy shit, they're never going to admit to it, right? Oh. Like, um, no. like if I thought I was in imminent, if I thought that in forty five minutes or less I was going to be killed, right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know what I would. Mm -hmm. I don't Something know what I would. Well, happen, no, right? like you yeah. would. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's it's like the Ring of Gyges, right? You are mm -hmm. erased yep. from the face of the earth and there is no evidence of what you did because the bomb is so all encompassing. Right. So it's like there is no there are no repercussions. You can do whatever you want in these last 45 minutes and no one will ever know. Right. Yeah. But you're so practical. You'd be getting your shit together. 
You'd be you'd be all MacGyver <laughs> well, in that shit. You see, here's the other thing: is like I work with doctors and like people, like because I know my main response would be like, I think I'd fucking freak out. And these people, like the stuff they were saying, was so amazingly logical. Like one was like, I got a tarp, I got duct tape, I got respirators, I got water. Wow, like, that's really smart. Shit. That's like, that's like, yeah, hundred times that's smarter really than I, than than me. Just you know trying to figure out if I'm being punked or something. I mean, it was like, I couldn't believe that, but that's like, I don't know. To me, it's like, I was not put under that same yeah. construct, right? If something like that happened, you don't know how you're going to react because I think it is a pure reaction. And I am, I am impressed when somebody is able to sort of have that moral construct to perform in that way. Cause God only, yeah. Know, Jesus, well, God I saw one, I saw one thread, Save my like my my uh my Star Wars. Feed. I saw a thread. Jesus, I saw a thread on Reddit where people were saying what they did when they thought that it was going to happen, right? And and actually, I, I actually did hear from a friend at work who said that um mm-hmm. she has friends that live in Hawaii, and when they thought that they were going to get uh, blown up, basically, they just like sobbed for like thirty minutes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they just cried and yeah. cried and cried and freaked out and like held each other and whatever. And she was yeah. like, you know, afterwards, she was like, people called and like, were, you know, she she was like, my friends called and told me that they loved me and they were, you know, so glad that nothing happened and they wanted to come visit now. And it's like, you know, I mean, I don't think we're really like, I don't think people are like laughing about it like it's a big joke or whatever. And it's kind of funny, I guess, but it's also like pretty oh, no. damn to horrifying, right? But so one of my favorites that I read online and, and people were saying, you know, well, what did I do was one guy was like, he went to the beach he like got a jug of water, or whatever. He like dug it out or whatever, um, and you know he, he like hid some some stuff, food and water and bull crap like that, whatever. But then when the bomb, like when the initial blast was gonna happen, his plan was to mm-hmm. be in the ocean, and then that way he would just dive like a hundred feet, you know, whatever, however many feet down he could get to the bottom before he, um, like couldn't get up anymore. <laughs> and basically his plan <laughs> was like to go all the way down and just wait it out down there. Right. And like, I don't, I don't remember. I don't think he said anything about having like an air tube or anything up to the surface, but like, that's a, that's a surprisingly good, like a practical solution. And I actually did some digging online to see how good that actually would be. Right. And so before we finish out this episode, that's been pretty heavy on philosophy and jokes about nudity. Mm, I thought we could get into a little bit of science mm -hmm. here. So so, uh, Marie, nuclear bomb goes off. Yes. What What do you think is going to happen? Well, first of all, they didn't specify it was nuclear. That's true. It was ballistic. That's we're true. We're assuming it would be nukes. We're assuming it would be it would be a it's an a, a, that's true. ICBM, right? Um. So I what would like I do? no 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 not not what um, would you do or what would I? um like what do you hmm. what do you think? How is it gonna? What's gonna happen? What would what's stand? gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Well, so it depends on where it's coming from. Sorry, I hate to be all caveat. All this right, and let's say it's coming that, from a. But, but hold on, hold on, hold on. It's coming from. It's, it's coming from yeah. Korea. But it's but a North Korea, Korea that can actually fire well, a missile correctly, like it. Mm, I was gonna say so. There's a huge percentage that <laughs> right, it wouldn't right. land. They have right? shitty I mean, targeting. It's, it's no, yeah, this archipelago. Yeah, archipelago, archipelago. It's a you know, so it's it would have to hit land if it hit land. It would, I would say it would pretty much take Hawaii out cold because Hawaii's infrastructure is not, they're an island. So it's not like, you know, 
it's not, I don't want to say it's not a robust infrastructure, but it's an infrastructure that's based on no, I, w- on an island. I would say, I, don't think, I would say that it's yeah. certainly not, it's not like you can, it's not like you can keep going on the road until you find a non irradiated area. Right. Like you're like, you're on the island. Exactly. You're going to run out of land eventually. And if it takes out a power grid, it takes yeah, out absolutely. the power grid and there's nothing that's going to solve that. Um, so I think it would, it would probably, yeah, it would probably take a, yeah, it would probably be pretty, pretty so bad. So what I was, so, he, so here's kind of what actually happens when a bomb goes off, right? Mm. Um, oh, good. This is, this is, yeah, this, this is, is upbeat. upbeat. So first off, uh, first off, there is the, um, <sighs> first off, there is the initial, first off, there's the initial impact mm-hmm. of the bomb itself. Yeah. Can we can we talk about like what s- small groups of animals are called? <laughs> just to get into it. Just see what's a group of quails I don't called? Even, a cozy. A coven. A coven. Okay, that's very cute. A quilt. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna make these great. up. Okay, count, great. By the way. So um okay. so basically, like first you have the uh, first you have the impact itself. Right? Mm-hmm. Then you have um sort of the um what's it? Then you sort of have the still and then the seismic yeah, blast back yeah. right the exactly the yeah so you, then you have the actual like the actual pressure itself because what happens when a when a um what's the word so first off you have the the force itself from the actual hit right and then you mm-hmm. have um from which isn't no, the big no, damage no right? no the hit itself then is from not that the damage, hit yeah. right usually you have um you usually have some kind of uh, chemical reaction or explosion Right. So a huge amount of heat Mm -hmm. that uh, is released. Right. Okay. So that heat then um, basically it heats up all the of all the surrounding air. And uh, PV Uh equals NRT. So pressure times volume equals um, the number of gas molecules times a constant times temperature. So as the as the temperature goes Uh up and the volume stays the same, then um, the pressure also goes up. Okay. Really quick, a, a group of pot-bellied pigs, pygmy pot-bellied pigs. They're possum. Oh, are they really? Continue. No, I'm making every oh, single my goodness. thing up. Okay, well, that would have been really cute. <laughs> but they're, now they're okay. a posse. Keep going. I have to throw these in here because I didn't okay, really read anyways, this Okay, anyways, so uh, what happens then is that basically a blast wave forms, right? And so um, mm-hmm. basically the uh, pressure from the gas being heated up so much um, starts to kind of flow away. And then we have a, uh, we have a shock mm-hmm. wave, right? Okay. Yes. Which is yeah. really fucked And so up. then that is the thing that, yes. um, that is the thing that really does the, the damage, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then mm-hmm. after uh, the, uh, after the actual detonation and, and the shock wave that forms, Right. You then also have mm-hmm. uh, some blowback as well as pressure gets re because um, like you have a high pressure wave moving towards you and then pressure, yeah. the, the edge behind it is low pressure. So the it's... pressure that has to get uh, kind of resettled. Right. And then. Yeah, it's like exactly. It is just like a wave of water. Right. And yeah. so then you also will have some um, particles and like, you know, deep like like frag. Um, you'll have frag pieces, fragmentation of surfaces and things that actually nice. occur. Right. So, um, so that initial blast, the damage that occurs from that initial blast is all determined by, it's a pressure wave, right? 
So it all depends mm-hmm. on the um, on the density of the gas or the medium by which the pressure wave is moving through. Okay. So if you're how far underwater would you have to be? So, so actually, they did they did some of the, blast, it depends so. on the blast, right? But they did some of that on MythBusters. Yeah, yeah. Right. You do not you do oh, not have to be very right. far even to be protected from a bullet. Mm-mm. Right. Um, right. In water, because water is, yes. I mean, at least a thousand times more dense than air. So we're talking mm-hmm. a um, we're talking a, a change in propagation of a significant amount. Right. So actually um, so actually yes. that would be the first part where that getting underwater would be a good idea. Right. So long as the person could continue to breathe. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, so long um, as you could breathe. And, yeah. and so long yeah. as they are careful, because actually what's interesting is the body is, um, your body is very, very carefully equilibrated to pressure, right? So that's what... Yes, so you get the bends yeah, well, too fast. Right, well, the same right. thing could probably happen then. I don't actually know if this has ever been, I, I have no idea about if this is true or not. I'm just, I'm just supposing here that if you had a high pressure wave going over, say, your snorkel... And you're under the water oh. or your body itself might be protected, but the, your, your actual, like your lungs and the pressure there, um, you would have extremely oh, high pressure moving across the top of your nozzle for your, uh, like, I don't know if your lungs would actually just explode or if they would be sucked out. It's actually a very interesting yes. question. So, uh, a group, a group of hedgehogs. Yeah. Uh, We're just making these all up. These are great. Group of hedgehogs are called. This is adorable. That's a hiddleston. So, um, okay. Yes. So that first stop, that's first part, the pressure wave. There has to be eight or more. Otherwise, it's just a. uh, Otherwise, it's just a bunch. Um, it's a. uh, Yeah, yeah, but it really, it's it's you know, it's it's named after. Okay, it's good stuff. Nice. Yes. So, um, so from the pressure wave, I think you'd be okay, but with a nuclear weapon. They go back to yeah. exploding with a nuclear yeah. weapon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to worry about mm-hmm. then nuclear mm-hmm. radiation and fallout. Yes. Well, you got yeah. the whole aftermath, right? That's that's now the, key of the nuke. Actually, in that case, too, water is a really good uh, water is a very good way to stop uh, certain types of nuclear radiation. Right. Because, again, it's dense. Um, mm-hmm. relatively dense. Mm-hmm. It's uh so actually we use mm-hmm. water in nuclear reactors. Um, we use water as a means of controlling the heat of the reaction, but also the flux or the flow of neutrons um, around a nuclear reactor during a, a fusion reaction. Mm. Right. So, anyways, mm-hmm. so I I actually really like the idea of getting under the water. I think that'd probably be a pretty good one. Um, I also saw some stuff though that some guy was like his boss, his boss went into the boss's boss's room, and like <laughs> I think he said, <laughs> career-ending yeah, I, I think he said like minutes, he, he like took a dump on his desk or something, and like oh, I don't know. God. So like some of these are probably fake, but I could, I don't know, man. You only have forty-five minutes left to live. You go book wild. Some people would, anyways. But here's well, here's the thing that I think is sort of interesting. Again, it's it's contextual, right? Because it's like the one thing that I think drove my coworkers to have this sort of rational thought is they had kids with them, 
right? So it's like oh yeah, they were they automatically went into this to this. Well, I wouldn't know about automatically because again, like that's it is pretty super superhuman to do to be able to think that through. But they had to they had to be calm because they didn't want to scare the kid and they had to they also had to provide so i think that that's sort of like another wrinkle it's like if you're just if the only thing you're concerned about almost in in a morality way and again this is almost like you can this can be sort of macro or micro it's like is yourself then you are only beholden to yourself and you can go take a dump on your boss's you know desk and that you know and it's like that's that is one thing but it's like i think if you are if you are trying to be responsible for more for whatever it is, which is sort of the morality, you know, the, the greater good, be it for, you know, your own offspring or for uh, humanity kind of idea, you know, for people, then you are going to react sort of in a way that is going to try and to, to manage to the situation yeah. in some ways is my guess. I don't know. I never want to go through it. And I'll, I'll tell you what, like I have a whole, I have some serious doubts about like what the hell happened with that whole thing, man. Don't even get me I all know, conspiracy we... up because how the fuck can you just like, seriously, seriously, it's a drop down menu. And one of them is like fucking, you know, grab your ass and well, pray. Did you, that doesn't make any sense. Did you sense. see the picture uh, they took of the guy that like supposedly like at the center where they supposedly uh, did the screw up? His password was on a sticky note on his computer that was shown in the photo. Yeah. Mm. What's going on? See, I, dear listeners, I'm just going to throw this out there for our more, our more conspiratorial minded. I, there's a whole something else that happened that we have no idea about that is being, that could be being sort of swept under the, uh, the rug on this entire thing. Cause I just like, why wouldn't have that happened before? Why does it happen now? This, I mean, is it the perfect, quote unquote, the perfect storm of coincidence that brought this out and all of a sudden they had this, they had this scare or how could that have not happened prior? How could that have not, if it's human nature, then humans fuck up more, more times than not. Well, it also seems like the kind of thing that should require like multiple checks, right? Like if I, like, like I was, we were on, we were on the, uh, or I was on with Rob uh, Christofferson from Our Strange Guys. Yeah. Um, we were on the What If podcast radio show here in Minnesota, and they actually, Minnesota. which is awesome, and they actually asked, yes. they, they had the same point, which was like, if you, if I want to delete a file from my desktop, it asks me if I'm sure. Right? A few like, times. Yeah. yeah like, you, sure you really want to get rid of that stuff? Like, yes. If you want to alarm an entire yeah. population of nuclear catastrophe, Probably should have some safe checks. But then, but then the point was brought up that you know, well, actually, like for a lot of very specific, Mm -hmm. um, what's the word? Like for very specific or very high end, like niche computer programs, or like even like whatever engineering programs, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's no Mm -hmm. double check. They just assume you know what you're doing. Because like, because like, think about it. Like they're they probably developed the system for like. They thought, you know, I mean, okay, like maybe a thousand people over the lifetime of this program will like use this thing, but, but pretty much maybe and it's gotta be analog. Yeah, but it can't be exactly. Hacked, but like, but pretty much yeah. it's going to be for like a special, like a specialty group of users. They're not running like QA, QC checks, right? Like they're not, they're not doing quality assurance checks to be like, how is the end user? Like, will the end user make an, a mistake? 
You know what I mean? No, but but then that even strengthens the argument that it should have ha- it should have happened multiple times. It should have happened before this. Then, if it's so easy to do, I don't then know. Why it's super it interesting. Now? I I find it fascinating. I mean, oh, it's a uh, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of fun. Yeah. Kind of fun to think oh. about. Rabbit hole. It's kind of fun to think about in theory. Nuclear catastrophe is always fun to you know <laughs> surmise upon from yeah. a motherfucking distance. If I got that, yeah. Oh God, got that text. Holy smokes! Not enough vodka no. in this here no. house, my friend. I'll tell you that right now. Um. All right. Let's let's close it out then. I think that I think that vodka line that is a good way good. to close this out. That's a great way to do it. <laughs> um. All right. <laughs> All right, dear listeners. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Cogswell, joined by the wonderful Marie Mayhew. Oh, dear listeners, thanks again. And if you have a near nuclear catastrophe or have decided to make up a cute pet name for a group of animals, do absolutely. Let us know. Are you kidding me? And uh, we'll be back yeah. in a week with the history of surgery, part one. We're thinking, thinking that's going to be in like a three-part series. We have a really, we have a pretty interesting, um, Marie, if you couldn't, if you couldn't handle explosions this episode, I don't know what you're going to do with surgery next episode. The history of surgery. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's another Getting serious here. No, it's going to be very interesting. It's, it's going to be, be great. Very interesting. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. You can get our merchandise at... All kinds of cool places. Redbubble.com. Our website. Redlist.com. You can support um, all the artists that do stuff for us. You can check out uh, Not Bad Luck for the pins. You can check Mm -hmm. out uh, Carrie Shaheen for our logos and all kinds of other cool logos and stuff that she does. She does a lot of amazing things. You can check out uh, Desdemona on Redbubble. Um, and she does some amazing stuff and she's a huge part of the podcast here. Um, and, uh, and of course you can always find all that stuff on our website and, uh, yeah, it's going to be great. But you can also tweet at us, tweet at us, my people at, uh, hashtag team giant squid for myself. It's my new hash. That is Marie's new hash. New, new whole thing. Team giant squid. And, uh, and you can find us of course at mad scientist pod. Thanks again so much for listening, and we will be back in one week. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.